0: Alright, well we're gonna go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, welcome back to our midweek service. It is the 1st of June. In case you didn't realize that, we are in a new month. And, uh, starts all over again. So, <laughs> uh, obviously we're almost uh, halfway through the year and, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, it, uh, seems to go faster and faster. i tell you that. But, uh, we're going to be in the book of uh, Philippians in chapter 4, um, and uh, didn't get a lot of traction last week, but we we got through at least uh, talking about some things in verse uh, number 1, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the two individuals that are found there in uh, verse 2, and then a couple other things. And again, the mindset is the primary principle, the primary um idea to be learned through this uh through this book that mindset of christ and uh, we'll take a look a little bit more at this in just a minute but let's go ahead and pray we'll get started dear heavenly father we are again very thankful to be here and again very thankful that we have an opportunity lord to come to learn of you to worship and uh, to receive instruction from you i thank you again for what you've done for us uh the salvation that has even made this possible your Holy Spirit is there to teach us uh, from your word that you've given to us. And again, Lord, I just uh, pray that tonight we would understand those promises. We'd understand the doctrines and the principles, uh, the instruction that we see here before us, and that, Lord, you would just give us that heart of understanding. Pray, Lord, that uh, things of this week in this world uh, uh, just be put aside and that, Lord, we would focus upon you for this uh, brief moment and that, Lord, we would receive that uh, that from you. Pray, Lord, you be with me and just uh, strengthen me in my voice, that this time would be honoring and pleasing unto you, and everything that we say, do, and think, that it would be honoring. And these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and uh, take a look at verse one in Philippians chapter four, verse one. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly, uh, beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So we took quite a bit of a look at that because there's a lot that is packed in there, specifically talking about, uh, those believers and the instruction that he's giving to them. Um, as we continue to move down through this, though, we see in verse two, There's kind of a call out of two individuals, and it says in verse two, I beseech Judas and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. So as we think about these two individuals, it becomes very apparent that there's something that has gone on. Um, These two ladies, and you know, there's always been these debates. And and again, uh, you you start getting a bunch of theologians locked up in a room, and they're going to debate everything from anything from a period to whatever. It may be. Um, and uh, they're sitting there talking about, well, this is a husband and wife and uh, they're going back and forth with it. And I'm like, yeah, OK, well, first things first, both of them are female names. So let's uh, let's not go there. <clears throat> but, you know, we, we, we look at this and, you know, again, people will argue about it and, and say what they will. Uh, but we, we see here that these are two ladies that have obviously uh, there is something wrong with their relationship. Um, there's something that has happened in their friendship or whether they're, uh, you know, blood relation, you have no idea. There's nothing much more given here. And and I just want to take a pause and and say just for a moment, this is very similar to what we see over in second Corinthians. When, when Paul starts talking about that thorn in the flesh, uh, he never describes what the thorn in the flesh is. He just says, it's a messenger from Satan to buffet him. And that's all he, he, he says about it, talks about giving God glory through the thing, uh, whatever it is, uh, people have hypothesized it's a person, people have said it's a health condition, I have my own personal opinion, what I think about it, as, as far as, you know, uh, you can't do what he did and not have some, some heavy thoughts about it, um, but, but the end result is it's not given to us and it's not necessary and we can sit there and argue all day long what it is and what it's about and what's going on but but the problem that we we will face is is it's not clear but what we have is we have two individuals that can't seem to get along uh i mean it, it, the issue is very clear though the issue uh, that, that that's uh, that the root of it not necessarily all of the semantics about it not necessarily all of the details are, are, are visible here, but the root cause, the problem, Paul brings right to the surface, and he says the, the issue is you guys can't think alike. Now, again, when you get two individuals in a room, you're going to find there's a differing of opinion. You get a hundred individuals in the room, you're going to find there's a hundred different opinions, and and each person being unique in its own uh, in their own way. That's fine. God made us unique in our own way and we are allowed to have opinions. Uh we we really are. Um, you know, there is some liberty in that, as again, as long as it does not violate scripture. Uh and, and therein is the key. We we have liberty, but we don't have liberty to sin. It has to be stuff that we clearly see from the Word of God that teaches us, instructs us, and gives us uh, the correct direction. And we can have our opinions on that. Some person may say, well, I don't like, you know, 12-point font in my Bible. And another person may say, well, I like 8-point font. Some person might say, you know, that's crazy and say, well, I like 6-point font. And you're like, well, praise God, you got good eyes. (laughs) But, you know, the end result is, is those are all opinions, and there isn't one that is better than the other. It's all based upon what a person sees. Some people like certain formats. Some people don't, and so on and so forth. The end result is, is those are all opinions. This is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about a difference of opinions. What he's talking about is the fact that they have two different mindsets, and those mindsets are not congruent with the mind of Christ. The whole concept that we see behind this book is talking about how we think. The way we need to think is obviously found in chapter 2. Those are the key principles that we see that are surrounding this entire uh, this entire book. But what we see very clearly is, is here is this: there's a difference in their mindset that is not Christ-like. He, as he says, there, these two individuals, he's beseeching them that they be of the same mind, that they be of the same mind, meaning that what they're doing is they should be in agreement they should be as, as scripture says of one accord they're supposed to have a a, a a unity together now we find there's a lot a lot, lot talked about unity in the book of ephesians because he's talking about breaking down barriers between Jews and Gentiles, bringing them all into the body of Christ, one body, talking about endeavoring to keep that unity we see all of those things that are here, but we see that that is a continuing thing throughout the rest of Paul's ministry. if you will go over to uh, the book of first Corinthians first Corinthians um, and chapter three <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says in verse 3, for he says, ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. That is a fleshly mindset. When it is not the mind of Christ, it is the mind of man. It is the mind of the human being. It is the mind that is not aligned with what God tells us it's supposed to be alignment with. So what we find is we find that there's divisions that happening happening obviously here. There were divisions that were going on in other places, in other churches. But here he's very specifically pointing out two individuals. Now this is to a degree somewhat embarrassing that they would get pointed out and that their names would be, well, recorded forever. That, that, that they were the two that, you know, had an issue. And I, I can just see it now. You get up to heaven, and then you start meeting everybody, and, and these two ladies walk up to you, and they say, oh, it was a pleasure to see you. And, and you're like, oh, you two. And they're like, oh, come on. You know, not just being a little foolish there. But you understand what I'm saying is is here they are. They are recorded in this, that God has preserved this, that we would recognize that these people had a serious enough issue with their mindset, that he had to point it out. That he had to bring it to light. That he had to, if you will, escalate the situation to the point of where he's, he's calling them out in a letter, and he, he, but he keeps it simple. I like it that Paul just keeps it straightforward. He, he, he doesn't delay about the issue. He doesn't, you know, kind of give it somewhat of a political answer. He's just like, I beseech you that you be of the same mind. I beseech you that you be of the same mind. You guys have got to think alike. You guys cannot think apart from one another. I mean, go over to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6. Again, just to point this out, so we again understand how God thinks when it comes to unity. Proverbs chapter 6 is a very familiar passage we often go to. Where in verse 16, it talks about these seven things that are considered an abomination He hates these six. And as you go through here and you get down towards the end uh, in verse 19 of this list, it talks about he that soweth discord among the brethren. God considers that abominable. If somebody is coming in and they're causing such a problem that there is a division amongst them, that is something that God says should not be there. It's sin. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, we, we, we shouldn't uh, a prance about the issue in any way, shape, or form. We need to call it an abominable, hateful sin that God does not want in any believer's life. We can't come in, in, to this point of where we're causing one brother against another brother. We can't cause divisions uh, between, you know, uh, sisters in Christ. We can't do this. We shouldn't be doing it in families, we shouldn't be doing it in friendships, and, and we shouldn't be doing it in the body of Christ. But yet there are common people that will go about doing this and they will do it in such a way that it, 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 it's 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 just it's satanic, for lack of a better term. I mean, we've all heard of church splits. You know, I I've been through a few uh, if you will, shakedowns of some churches where some people left before uh, for various reasons and and it just kind of you know it, it's a bit of an eye opener but you know again there's some that, that are just absolutely hor- horrific i think about my 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 friend pastor blue who has passed away now but he would always, uh, sit down and he would tell me and, uh, and this was way before I was even, even, even remotely thinking about ministry or anything of that nature. He would just sit down and he would tell me all of the gory details about what happened at the church. And I'm just like, I'm not sure I really want to end this. <laughs> but what he, and he never gave names, but he would, he would give these scenarios of what had happened and it was, if you will, a cautionary tale To me, and and the the Lord must have given him some foresight or something of that nature, but he was cautionary tale about how to handle certain uh, individuals, how to handle certain situations, uh, all of these things that that would cause divisions in a congregation. And, and, And I paid attention. I paid attention. Because it was biblical, sound, doctrinal advice and counsel. Whether I actually needed it at that time or not, it made no difference. But what I clearly saw was I saw that that God was showing throughout Scripture, he does not want this situation to exist. So if he's going to call two people out and he's going to bring them straight to the forward part of the company, then he's going to do that. But I want you to notice that there's one little phrase that is at the end of all of this, That becomes very critically important. And in verse two, it says, I beseech you this and this, I beseech Syntyche, and notice he beseeches both of them. He beseeches both of them. This isn't, he's, you know, kind of a general beseeching. This is a, this is, this is a specific pleading with both of them. This isn't, you know, again, he's doing this for a very specific grammatical, uh, if you will, emphasis to show that both of these individuals need this beseeching. This is essentially begging and pleading to stop, to stop. I've told uh, probably this a a couple of times. I remember one point in time, shortly after we had, uh, um, uh, after I had, uh, uh, taken over as pastor and we went over to Treasure Valley Baptist Church and they had the this thing it was called preacher school and uh, they've, ch- they've changed it to like a, a pastoral conference or something of that nature now name. But uh, I went over there and uh, was invited and I was excited about going over there and just it was it was a week long just download of stuff I needed for the ministry. And it wasn't even stuff that was necessarily ministry-related as well. It was stuff that was, like, personal. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I'm talking about, like, four or five messages a day. You're just sitting there, and it's just like, wham, 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 wham. You know, one guy would get up, and he would go on for about 45 minutes. He'd take a break, get coffee, come back, and then, wham, get hit again. <laughs> it was just nonstop relentless. And, and and I remember he was telling this story one time about what had uh what had happened about something with social media. And he, he left this rather vague in its, in its reference. And, and he said very specifically, he said, if you want to know what it is about, he said, I've made copies of the, my message down, it's out in the floor. You can go pick it up. So of course me and, you know, Amy, we're running out there. We want to get this. We want to hear it. So we wait, and we, you know, we're we're on the road back, and you know, the girls in the back, and we're just tooling on, and we're we're, we're just outside of Nampa, and we're listening, put it in, and uh, we're heading home, and we're listening to this message, and he's going on and on about Facebook and all these things, and it, it's very very important, and it's not just a rant, but it was something that happened in the church that there was these two families that had a Facebook fight. Now now now, Pastor DeMichael had no idea what Facebook fights were. He actually had to have a deacon explain it to him. Because he's not on social media. And he's like, well, This is ridiculous. He's like, What is this? So he decided he was going to address it. And he addressed it in the front of the pulpit. Now, granted, you gotta remember Church of Valley Baptist Church, the auditorium sits seats something like, I don't know, two thousand something and he's there and he 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 doesn't call anybody out like Paul's doing here but he just gives a, a general reference to to everyone that was there and he he just made it very clear he said i'm going to treat what you say on facebook as if you shouted it in the foyer so be careful and he said and if you're going to get involved in a fight And he got really close to the microphone and he yelled as loud as he could, stop it, stop it, stop it. Uh, I'm obviously, you know, not wanting to do it because I don't want to blow my voice out and start coughing. But he yelled and me and me and my wife, I'm driving and I'm like this. Oh, I look over at my wife and she's like, Oh, (laughs) because if you know anything about the pastor to Michael, he is one of the most carefree. I mean, just really great guys, just super nice laid back. And you have to really get under his skin to get him to do that. And I almost can envision envision this here in the same situation where Paul is saying to both of them, I beseech you and I beseech you. Saying, this, this has got to stop. This is, this is something where it, it, it is a forceful pleading and begging to, to stop a certain action. And he says that the way that they're going to stop it is this. You do what God tells you to do. If you do what God tells you to do, naturally the action that you're doing that is contrary to it will stop. It's hard to do both at the same time. And in this situation, whatever it was, it makes no difference. He says, I beseech Judas, I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind, now here's that phrase, in the Lord. This is why it becomes important to understand what the mind of Christ is. So if they're to be of the same mind in the Lord... (laughs) We're gonna go back over there to chapter 2, and we're gonna see in verse 7, where he says, made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the mindset. And I'll tell you, the divisions will go away if we put the pride away. If the pride is killed, and it is burnt on an offering and it's done away with. And we are humble. Not only are we drawing closer to the Lord, but we will draw nearer to the brethren. Because only by pride cometh contention. That's the only reason. I mean, when you when you see how God makes it so simple, and yet we sit there and we try to justify, and we try to you know make sure our actions look good, and you know disparage the other one, and whatever it is, also that we can just get something lifted up about ourselves, just to say, well, hey, you know, I I, I'm the one that's wronged here. Paul said, whatever it was, it really didn't matter. Both of them needed to stop both of them needed to stop. and obviously uh th- these were you know they were individually addressed and there were obviously laborers with him. i mean paul knew these these ladies. he 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 knew them. this wasn't just somebody that you know he had heard about somewhat of something of some person that said that maybe these two people had an issue. no he he he, he knew them personally. He knew them personally. And what is very interesting as we go into verse 3, it says, And I entreat thee also, uh, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Did you ever notice that there is an unnamed recipient here? We don't know who it is. Well, yeah, and speculation arises. And everybody wants to know who it is. My question is, does it matter? Or maybe it was just addressed to everyone. Maybe it was it was left intentionally vague for the purpose that you could put anybody's name in there that was at that church that could do this where anybody that decided to come alongside and say, I'm going to bear the same burden that Paul has, the same burden of Christ, that same mindset, I'm going to come along and I'm going to be a helpmeet to these individuals. I'm going to help them. And here he is, he, 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 again, this isn't entreating with him. This isn't somebody he's beseeching. He, he, he's asking very politely that this person would, would, would get involved with this, somebody that obviously was very much involved in the ministry, that was very much involved in the same burdens and desire that Paul had to see people trust Christ as their Savior and to see people grow. He, he very much had that, that same desire, whoever this person is, Unnamed at this point, th- they were to be an encourager, to be a helper, to help somebody do the right thing. <clears throat> now, I'll say this. You know, sometimes we like to keep things private. And I get it. I really, really get it. But look, if you're struggling with something, you've got a problem. It, 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 don't wait to get called out by God <laughs> and, and and have God say, you know, you, you're going to go help them. Me, what? what are you talking about? God asks every single one of us to do the right thing. And if there's a situation where there's a division that's occurring like this, here he is, he's saying, look, I want you to come and I want you to help. He says, "I want you to help those women, which labored with me in the gospel. I want you to help those women. This is again why we know they're women." He says, "I want I want you to help them." You know, it, it's important that we understand that part, and, and and I don't say it a lot over there because again, it, it, it's part of the you know the the, the ministry of Christ. But here he is, and it says the form of a servant, that's the mindset. But again, you, you can't be that if you're one that is focusing on your own reputation. If you are a person that is, you know, humbling uh, and not humbling themselves and is a person that isn't obedient, you're going to have a hard time being that form of a servant. But this is exactly what God wants each one of us to be. We want He wants us to be that mindset. You know, people get so wrapped up in this is my life. And I dare say that we are as bad sometimes as the anti-life crowd. Yeah, that's what I call them that. <laughs> they, I, I, I don't necessarily want to call them pro-abortion. They just, they're anti-life. But, but let's just be honest. Their whole mantra is, my body, my choice. But yet, we at the same time, we have a tendency to say the same thing. Well, it's my life. It's my decision. It's not your life. Since when did it become your life? Did you purchase it with your own hand? Did you shed your own blood for your own sins? Did you give of yourself on a cross to to redeem yourself from sin and from death and from eternal torment and flame? No. Nobody did. Jesus Christ did it for us. So when we realize that, we realize that this body is not our own. We were bought with a price. So if he asks us to be a servant, we should be obedient as a servant. And we should come alongside and look. As I said on Sunday, part of the, you know this mentality that we have should be, as if for, for consistent Christian living, is you should be going out seeking whom you can disciple, whom you can encourage, whom you can edify. And if you don't know who, then every believer you come in contact with, be an encouragement to. Everybody you come in contact with, make sure you're not tearing them down. If there's something that's in your life that is made, made aware of, maybe they come to you and they say, "Hey, I need—I I don't know what to do." They're coming to you for help. That's the whole role of a servant: is to come and help. They come, they help, they they, they assist, they, they they give of themselves for the benefit of someone else. The the root of that is charity. when we begin to realize that this is what he's asking this person to do, he's saying, look, I I want you to be in that church. I want you to be the one that comes alongside, not for, for, for glory's sake, because he didn't name them. He didn't name them. But they came along and they were instructed, this is what I want you to do. I want you to help them. I want you to help them get in the right mind. I want you to help them. Get in the right mind in the Lord. This is what's supposed to be. Why? Because they were important. God God makes sure here that we understand exactly that these weren't just, you know, two women that were just, you know, if you will, uh, doing whatever, that, that really weren't doing anything. These were women which labored with Paul in the gospel. They were active in it, they were engaging people and telling people the need for Jesus Christ, the need for the forgiveness of sins, the ministry of reconciliation that he, that he tells the church at Corinth to have. And here, these are the same people, and he's making it very clear here, he says, "They were labored with me in the gospel." They weren't just standing by doing nothing twiddling their thumbs. They were coming alongside and they were they were being soul winners. They were being somebody that was 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 concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was at the forefront of their mind at one time. But somehow some way flesh and carnality got in the way. Not trying to make a rhyme there, but it did. <laughs> But the idea that we see here is that he wants this individual to come and help and help these others in the ministry. And here, what does he say here? He says with Clement also. Now he, he identifies her and says, "I want you to come along aside, and she's going to help too. There's going to be one that comes along and she's going to do this and, and, and help you're going to be helping each other. A church that helps each other is part of the body of Christ. You realize that all your body systems work in conjunction together. It is absolutely just completely ridiculous to s- just suppose or or have some sort of assumption that somehow, some way, this infinitesimal little dot of matter exploded and we have what we have today by chance. You know how I mean the body is so well engineered. Trust me have back issues, and then you begin to find out exactly what happens. <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting there going through with these, these issues uh, uh, on the muscles on my back, and, and, and two groups of muscles are just not responding. They're just, they just tensed up, and they're as hard as rocks, and they will not release, and they're just constantly in that one state, so it's as if they're paralyzed in the on position. So all the rest of my muscles around my back are doing the work everything from my the base of my skull all the way down to my lower back and around in my ribs and into my chest, all these muscles are compensating for the two that fail to do their job. Now, I couldn't come up with a better sermon illustration if I I tried. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Two muscles that refuse and the rest of the body does the work. Well, what happens? the rest of the body's taking on too much. Pretty soon, my shoulder starts hurting, my chest starts hurting, my other muscles in my back start hurting. Everything else is hurting, and I'm trying to figure out how in the world this is getting to this point, and, and, and it's just to a point of where it just becomes frustrating because you, nothing's being done by those two. Trying to figure out some way to wake them up. Start doing your job. Because you're causing me real a lot of difficulty here. But here are these individuals that are all together as the body of Christ. So when one or two people in the body are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, the rest of the body suffers. I'll give you a perfect example. We live in a day and age where we look at and we go, you know what we need in this world? And we start talking about we need God back in the government. And we need God back in the family. And we need God back in the schools. And we need God in business. And amen to all of that. But we need God We need God to be God in our life first. Before any of those changes are ever going to happen, we've got to have God individually. He has to be our Lord. If we're not following after what he tells us to do, then we've got a problem. And we're part of the problem. And we look around and we go, man. And we look at all these other churches that are out there, and they're they're preaching something that is totally not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it just becomes, if you will, some sort of warm marshmallow fluff to just kind of, uh, you know, satiate the crowd without, you know, really truly teaching them, without letting the Holy Spirit do his work, And they're just putting on performance rather than actually letting the Holy Spirit perform the work he needs to do. Showmanship. And we can sit there all day long and we can point and we can say, well, they're part of the problem. Yeah, I get it. I understand. But until until they wake up, we've got a lot of burden to share. There's a heavy load that has to be borne. And it is a yoke. But as Jesus Christ clearly pointed out, it's easy and it's light. Because again, we're not bearing the burden of the entire sin of the, of the world and every person ever to have lived in mankind's existence. So yeah, you start comparing the two burdens where God just simply says, I want you to be of no reputation, form of a servant, humble yourself and become obedient. Yeah, that seems simple compared to what God has done for us already. And he is saying, look, I want, you, I want you to have this other individual helping along with this. And he says, and with my other fellow laborers. Why? Because this is a church issue. This isn't about taking sides about which one is right and which one is wrong. This is about coming together and just saying, look, we all need to be in this together. Are we, are we for the gospel of Christ or not? Is it really that big of a deal? Is your pride that important? Is, is your self-satisfaction that you were right so much more necessary than the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> But the end result is, is we have two women that have moved outside of the will of God and are causing a major problem in this church that Paul has to address them specifically. Yes, yeah, so to address them specifically. And he's leading up to this. You, you see how he's led up to this this whole time, bringing up all of these things that you need, bring up the way we're supposed to behave, bring all the, the, the ideas and the goals that they should be setting forth for each other. And now here they are. He's saying, look, I love you guys, but the two of you really need to stop. And the rest of you all, you need to come alongside them, and you need to encourage them and help them do the right thing. Because they are doing the right thing. They're fellow laborers. They're yoke fellow. And look, he even brings it down to this unity, this unity part. And I love this because this, this is about as base as it gets. You know, the world wants to divide everybody up into their own little group. Yeah, under, under the guise of, of tolerance and under the guise of, of, of accepting everyone. If you're going to accept everyone, then putting everybody in their own personal little box is not where it is. You don't classify people by the color of their skin. You don't classify people uh, based upon uh, their gender, male or female. He's talked about this when it comes to to salvation. You don't you don't even do it by based off of their their culture and their education, barbarian or Scythian. You don't do it based upon ethnicity, Jew or Greek. You don't. Do, you don't do it based off of any of those things. And look at what he says. He says here uh, also, uh, also, uh, excuse me, with Clement, also with uh, my other, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. I mean, he, he he is he's he's not sitting there saying at this point in time, well, I I don't know if they're saved, but I think they're saved. He says, no, I know they're saved. I know their names are in there. And as such, if all of our names are in that same book, then that should bind us together. That one book. Because if our name isn't in that book, then Revelation 20 makes it very clear what happens to those people. There's a lake of fire that gets prepared for them, and that's where they spend eternity. But for those that do have their name written in there, there are such great promises that our minds can't even begin to comprehend. Can we comprehend eternal life? Can we comprehend that what we think of as one day is, is just a millisecond? It not even. It, well, look, let's not even call it a millisecond. It doesn't even compute because time doesn't exist. I, there's no difference between the two. I, I, I mean, you know, or, or excuse me, between the, uh you know, minutes by minutes, there's no difference. It just doesn't even matter anymore. Time no longer matters. Man, I wish that was true now. <laughs> but, you know, the, the end result is, is that time doesn't matter to God. And here he is, and he's making it very clear here. He says, look. All our names are together in that book. This is what should bring us all together. So above all, if we're thinking about how we're going to have the same mind in the Lord, it's in the book that belongs to God, the Lamb's book of life. It's his. Is our name in there? If you can attest right here, right now, that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, without a shadow of a doubt, and you know you have your home in heaven, then your name is right next to my name. And you know what that means? We're stuck with each other. And it's not a bad thing. The minute we start looking at each other and we start judging people based upon quote-unquote spirituality or judging each other based on what, you know, look, that is the most ridiculous thing. Paul even talks about it. He says comparing ourselves among ourselves is unwise. Why? It's fruitless. What would profit? Oh, I'm a more mature Christian than you. Well, I know you are, but what am I? You know, that type of deal. Really, that's how ridiculous it is. It's school, a school grounds taunt. It's the one-upmanship. All it is is pride. But the end result is what he's getting at here is this. He says, look, our names are in the book of life. I think that matters much more to God than, than, than any silly disagreement we could ever have here in this world. And if we're all in there together, then maybe it's time to just let the silly disagreement stop. I mean, really. Now look, I'm not talking about something that's doctrinal. Somebody gets up there and preaches that, that, that salvation is through uh, some other means other than Jesus Christ. No, that's heresy. Somebody preaches that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. That's antichrist, blasphemy. I'm sorry, those are things that, 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 those are non-negotiable. Those are what we refer to in the industry as live wire, meaning that, that that's something you don't touch. You avoid it. You avoid it. Those things, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about believers, and he's talking about things that are not relevant to the work of the ministry. That ministry that he calls us to, over there in in in, uh, um, in chapter fourteen, where he says that we are what ambassadors. We have a ministry, and it is a ministry of reconciliation, saying that we can tell each other, "Hey, you can be reconciled to God." And you know what? It's something that we also should be doing is we should be reminding everyone else, "Hey." I'm reconciled to God, we're reconciled to God together, let's just forget the stupid stuff and move on. If we could just get to that point, man, things would be a lot different, wouldn't they? It'd be a lot different. This is, this is, this is what he likes, what he wants. I I want you to take a consideration here, just for a moment, turn over to the book of Exodus. I want you to see something. Exodus chapter 32. Preach a couple uh, messages in and around this area. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, bad things have gone on. Moses comes down off the mountain and sees just the, the, the wicked nature of what the Israel has become in a short period of time that they've been left alone. <clears throat> there's there's golden calves, um, you know that the, the, the tablets are broken, uh, people are are weeping and wailing, and all sorts of stuff is going on. In verse thirty of Exodus chapter thirty-two, Exodus chapter thirty-two, verse thirty, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, "Ye have sinned a great sin, and I, and now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure I shall make some atonement for your sin." Have you ever thought about the gravity of that statement? <clears throat> hey have you ever thought about the fact that maybe they started looking at him and he's not going up there with any ram or bull or lamb? He doesn't have two turtle doves. How's he gonna make an atonement? Verse 31, and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin. And they made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. He pauses. And he says, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. You ever think about what Moses just asked God to do? Now look, this book's been around for a long time. A long time. Moses knew his name was in that book. And I'll tell you this, when he says, on behalf of the people, blot me out. If it means they don't get in, then Let them in, and I will take it. Now, now God wasn't going to have any of that. God wasn't going to have any of that. He made that very clear to Moses. But I want you to think about Moses and what he just asked. That book is a pretty important book, isn't it? And if it's that important for Moses, and then you go back over here to Paul, and he's talking about that book, and he's saying, we're all in that book. And that should be something that really brings us together. That should be the same mindset because the reason that we 're in that book is because of what happened on on the cross, the payment that was there now now here 's the great part a, a, as we continue on with this, and we probably are not going to get too far uh, past this verse, but I want you to notice that after he goes about doing that, here he is, he talks about exactly if you will, the instructions. He just told them what they need to do. And now he's saying, okay, here's kind of how you guys are going to do this. The very first thing you need to do is rejoice. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And basically, we have a song that's based off of that verse. As a matter of fact, I've got it running through my head right now. <laughs> but but here he is. He, he says, I, I want you to rejoice in this. And, and, and the mindset is is this. He says, if you're going to have a Christ-like mind, I'm going to show you how to think accordingly that is going to be manifested in, in, in the correct behavior, the biblical behavior that God wants to see in your life. And it starts with the correct mindset. You cannot correct behavior if your mind and your heart He's still contrary to doing it. We call that pharisaicalism, hypocrisy, double-minded, double-hearted, double-tongued, things that God has clearly pointed out he does not like. But here he is saying, look, the very first thing you need to, to, to do is you need to establish that joy. And interestingly enough, rejoicing is about Coming out as far as out of your life, it is something that you portray. You can have joy inside of you, but when you rejoice, somebody else sees it. When you are, are, are enjoying something, it is an internal thing. You can sit there and and sit and and quietly enjoy a hot, fresh piece of of pie with ice cream on it. And you can sit there and just enjoy it and, and just all by yourself. But when you're rejoicing about it, everyone around you knows that you appreciate what you have. That's what part of rejoicing is about. How often do we let other people know that we have the joy of Jesus Christ? We have the joy of the Lord. We have the joy from the Holy Spirit in our life. Well, that's what rejoicing is about. And when we are all rejoicing together and we're rejoicing because, well, we're just sinners saved by grace who are now saints or children, you know, as he said, we're called sons of God and, and we've got a home in heaven. We've got a lot to rejoice about. We have forgiveness of sins. We've got a lot to rejoice about. We have the Holy Spirit working in our life that we don't have to deal with a bunch of these, you know, petty little issues in our life. And here he is, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord Alway. Turn over to Psalm chapter 5. <clears throat> <clears throat> Psalm chapter five. Uh, there's a lot of verses about rejoicing, and and you know, again, sake of time, going through all of them, it would be, would be uh rather labor intensive. But in, but in Psalm chapter five, <clears throat> I want you to look at verse eleven. Psalm chapter five, verse eleven, it says, "But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice; let them shout for joy." Because thou defendest them, let them also love thy name, uh, let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Now this is an interesting thing. Joy is directly tied to how much you trust God. If you've wondered in your life at some point in time why joy has been a little bit absent, it's probably because there's an issue where you're not trusting God 100 percent. So here he says very clearly, and this is the key part that I wanted to get at in verse 11, he says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. If you, tr- if you trust God, then everyone around you should know it. You should rejoice. You should rejoice. Have you ever been so excited that you just, you verbally just yelled about something? I know I've seen Mike do it (laughs) several times. (laughs) He gets excited about something. Now, now look, you guys know me. My my excitement level is just like, I got excited right there. But I'll tell you this. You know what? I I will be the first to say, I love my Lord, and, and I have no other means of trusting anything in this life save Jesus Christ. I've gone through this entire life at a very short young age, if you will, and I have realized above all that if I do not trust God in this life, I am in big trouble. (laughs) I am in serious, I have serious issues because I've done it. And I'll be the first to say, it's a pretty dark path. It is not one you want to go down, and joy is nowhere to be found. But once you do that, and you begin to trust God, there should be rejoicing coming out of you. You should be praising God. You should be letting the world know, believers and unbelievers alike. And I have to begin to wonder if maybe that's part of the issue that was going on with these two ladies, that somehow, someway, that they, there was a trust issue. Something had been broken. Something was 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 obviously at odds, and and you know what probably happened is immediately some of their joy begins to dry up, and they're not they're no longer rejoicing. They're no longer rejoicing. And here he's saying you need to rejoice, you need to rejoice. Uh, turn to Psalm chapter thirty-two. Psalm chapter thirty-two. <clears throat> <clears throat> he says be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous it's hard to rejoice when you're iniquitous or you're unrighteous It, it, it just it doesn't come out and I'll tell you this you can't be glad in the Lord when you're knee deep neck deep completely over your head in sin here he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, for joy that all ye, all ye that are upright in heart. They're not fallen down in sin. They're not backslidden. They're, they, 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 they have not fallen as we often refer to one another. But what we find very clearly is we find that in this passage, God is talking about joy and rejoicing. It produces some other effects. It produces gladness. Those are things that we can see. But you know where all of that starts with? Obedience. Right. And I'll be very clear. Again, You will never trust God and you will not find joy in your life if you fail to have the mind of Christ in obedience. You will struggle your entire Christian life and you will beat yourself up 50 ways to Sunday and you'll come on Sunday and you'll get beat up again and then you'll go home and then you'll beat yourself up the rest of the week And you're like, well, you're painting a pretty bleak picture. Yeah, because again, God's not present. I mean, he may be in you, but you are not listening to him. And that's what happens. And I can tell you for, uh, if you will, I will give a testimony and a half about how I failed to trust God and I failed in obedience as a young man. And the end result was, is I was at the pit of despair wanting to end it all. But you know where the joy came? When I began making different decisions. And I'm not talking about different decisions to please myself, but decisions to please God. That made the change. Because go over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll close with this one. Romans 12 is always a good chapter to close on. (laughs) <laughs> Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> and, and here he is. He goes through this whole idea of of, uh, of presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in the first part. And he goes through and he begins to identify all of these things. In verse 9, he talks about, Let love be without dissimulation and goes through all of this. And we get down to verse 12 and here he says rejoicing in hope. One of the main reasons people fail to rejoice is they have no hope. And there is absolutely no reason that any Christian should be without hope because we have a hope that endures. We have a hope that remains. We have a hope that nobody can take away because he just covered that in Romans chapter 8 where he said, what shall separate us from the love of God? To summarize, not a thing. Not even ourselves. And here he says, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing isn't present. Start looking at your hope level. Start checking what you are hoping in. Go down a little bit further here in verse fifteen, and I love this part because this matches up exactly what we're talking about with unity. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep look somebody somebody's going through a difficult time in their life, it's okay to cry with them, and sometimes you know what that's all they need yeah. they, they They don't need you even opening your mouth. Sometimes it's best to keep our mouth shut as we've learned throughout BASIC. <laughs> but you know what? There comes a point in time also when somebody's rejoicing, rejoice with them. Rejoice with them. If there is a praise, you need to praise God. And I'll tell you this, you, you, you won't know how or excuse me, you won't know when to rejoice with somebody if you are not engaged in their life. You can't. So what we begin to realize is that there's this connection that God wants us to be together, and it is in Him. He says, "Rejoice in the." lord if we are all in the lord with the same mind in the lord and we are in the book that belongs to the lord then by all means we should rejoice all of us all of us and he emphasizes going back over there he emphasizes it very distinctly he says that it should be in the lord meaning that it shouldn't be done any which way other than that if, it, if it's done out of his will, then it's going to be unprofitable. It's not going to be rejoicing. But here he says, rejoice in the Lord all way. Not all ways, all way. Every direction, every path you're in, every way that is existing in your life that is in the Lord, you need to rejoice in. Even if that one is bumpy and rocky. If it's straight and it's narrow and you have a yoke that is light and easy upon you, you rejoice in the Lord. And just for the same emphasis, I want you to see here, he repeats it. And again, I say rejoice, a commandment, do this, not an option. This is given as a command, a principle that must be followed. You must look for every opportunity in your life to rejoice for what you have, not just be content, not just give thanks, but actually to rejoice in it. Something that often we need a lot of help in, which is why he wanted all the rest of those believers to come around and rejoice with them that rejoice. We'll pick this up again next week, but uh, let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again that we have an opportunity, Lord, to hear from you and that we have these um, principles that you've laid out for us. Lord, I pray that we would just endeavor to follow them, that Lord, we would take these examples here. We would begin to learn that Lord, your Holy Spirit would, have us meditate and think on them that Lord, we would please you honor you and our lives would be directed solely at giving you glory, honor, and praise in every area that Lord, we would love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage, rejoice and help each other. Lord, I pray you take us home safely tonight and uh, be with the ladies as they head out for the, um, the retreat. And then also Lord, Bring us here back safely on Sunday, and these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.